Today, we are very pleased to have Donna Ecclestone, Certified Physician and Provider Recruitment Professional with us to discuss Physician and Provider Onboarding. Donna, fondly known in the industry as the godmother of onboarding, is a, if not the sought-after speaker and content expert on physician and advanced practice provider onboarding. Donna's experience includes 25 years in medical staff recruitment and provider integration, a department that she launched at Duke. Her provider integration team was responsible for the centralization and standardization of onboarding initiatives for Duke's physicians and APPs across 16 clinical departments. Their efforts were recognized by Joint Commission as a best practice model in 2016. Donna is a former board member and education chair of AAPPR and is involved with the AAPPR Certification Program and Speaker Bureau. As a continual advocate and industry mentor, she recently co-developed the curriculum for for the certificate program in onboarding and retention for members of AAPPR. She led the development and served in the inaugural leadership roles for two of the shared interest groups of AAPPR, the academic in-house recruiter, AIR, and the onboarding and retention network, OR. Donna recently launched a consulting business, Ecclestone Onboarding and Integration, where she has already helped several medical entities start or strengthen their onboarding program initiatives. Donna, thanks so much for taking time to talk with us today. You're We're welcome. excited to have you. Oh, it's going to be fun. Well, that is quite an introduction, but for quite a speaker. Let's jump into our topic for today. Great. Okay, so to start things out, Donna, What is the difference between orientation and onboarding? Great question. And I think that that's really um, so important that people understand that there is a difference. So when you think about orientation, it is short term. Um, You know, I it's HR focused. It's very transactional. Um, If you think about onboarding, it's actually long-term focused. It's very much so relationship-based. And orientation is actually a part of onboarding. That onboarding, that connection starts at that first call. And, you know, whatever, however you say welcome, however you address the provider, um, the tone, the uh quickness of response, that's sending an onboarding message. Great answer. So when does onboarding start? Um, As I mentioned, that onboarding starts at that first call. Um, So um, proactively understanding um, for recruiters, understanding the position, understanding um, the dynamics of the culture of your organization that you want to share with the new provider, um, knowing your community and course and sharing that information with new providers. Those are all very positive ways of starting that onboarding well. And the onboarding reach will go from that initial call to your interview, to your uh, contract negotiations, to your orientation, and really through your first year of with the organization. So it starts off, onboarding starts out with more focus on orientation and 
um, building that relationship. And then once they're hired, it goes from onboarding to fostering that relationship long-term. Oh, I love that. You worded that perfectly. And I think you've mentioned to me several times, onboarding to retain. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's so important and so key to point out. And you do that so well. So I think you've answered our next question, but is there anything else you would add here? How long should onboarding last? So data has shown statistically that a lot of onboarding programs stop at 90 days. And that is a very much a failure with the organization because it does take one year for a provider to build a practice and feel comfortable with the practice. So I do feel the onboarding needs to last at least a year, but for retention, you can still foster that relationship after a year. So, you know, two to three to 10 year um, with the organization continues that onboarding. That's great information, thank you. Okay, we're getting more complex here, hold on. What is involved with an onboarding program? So a lot of people, when you talk about onboarding, they're thinking orientation, but we're gonna go all the way from the initial phone call. And I know we shared about all the data that was shared at that initial phone call. And I would always do a phone call with an email follow-up so they have two forms of communication. And again, it's important that, you know, people learn different ways. So you don't want them to just rely on one communication method. It's the phone call with the email follow-up and maybe a website that they can refer to that has FAQs that they can go to. Um, But so you have, you know, uh, credentialing is a big factor in onboarding, it's clinical orientation, it's meeting the providers of who they will be working with, it is meeting the staff of who they will be working with, it is working with the enrollment office to get them with all the payers, it is working with the administrative staff, it's working with um, the the medical directors. Um, There is a myriad of people that are engaged with the onboarding. Why is it best to use an online resource or tool for onboarding? Yeah, so um, it's the technology age Um, and everybody should be able to utilize the technology to their advantage. Um, We, you know, the, the way back when, when we relied on paper, for a checklist and onboarding is much um, bigger than just a checklist. As I mentioned about the myriad of people that are engaged, Uh, the only person that knew the status of what was going on was the person that had the checklist in front of them. So when you put it online and most importantly, when you connect to the recruiter uh, module of your organization, you have all that data that goes streamlined from one process to another. And when you then you don't have the need for the provider to do repetitive information. And I mean, you're already asking them to fill out a credentialing application, an enrollment application, this, that, and the other. 
sometimes duplicative. You don't want them to have to answer questions regarding their family and their interest and, uh, you know, to make those connections in the community for them over and over and over again. Yeah, that can have a huge impact on the experience for them. Right. And I, I know even in our own even in our own experience with that, with the organization I came from, we found out there were several several points that we were asking the physicians or providers over 12 times. Right. Over 12 right. times. And what does that say about you as an organization? Right. That's definitely not the message we want to send. Right. And then the other um, benefit of having something online is that you can assign responsible parties for those tasks and you can ensure that the um, it, the task is completed and you can build dashboards so you can watch progress and you can share that with the leader, leaders. You can, um, you know, what we found at Duke that was really important as um, education and communication were, t were keys to building our program. Um, education on what onboarding meant, what onboarding was, what was, engaged, was involved with onboarding, as well as communication on who was coming in um, to the organization. Um, what did they need? You know, the IT people need to know the providers that were coming in. The credentialing people need to know the providers that were coming in. Um, the marketing team needed to know the names of the people that are coming in. And if it's all in an electronic um, database, that's easy to pull. Um, if it's all paper, that's, you know, more steps of more paperwork to to go forward with. Um, and I, I also, uh, going back to the, you know, the number of people that are engaged in the process, we want to, uh, the teams that do onboarding well have a centralized system, have a centralized, I'm sorry, have a centralized contact and have a centralized system. So they're trying to um, take one person or a team that's your onboarding experts. And those are the people that are very familiar with the steps, very familiar with the paperwork, very familiar with um, the, all the tasks that are engaged. And that provider builds a relationship with that person. And that person can, you know, share that information with other people that as needed to make sure that that provider has everything they need to be us has a successful start. Mm. Isn't that what everyone wants? My goodness, you're speaking to my heart in this. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like cheering. Okay, this next question is one that I hear often. Um, and I think it's so important as people look to improve upon their program or establish a program, you know, really outside of beyond that orientation thought, getting people, getting people outside of that. So how do you measure an onboarding program success? How do you do that? Mm -hmm. So you first need to understand what the organization values as important. Um, you know, so I, I can't say it's a one shoe fits all for every organization. Some organizations are going to want to know uh, money, money, money. You know, they're going to want to know um, when the 
person started billing and how they're billing and how, you know, what the codes they're using to bill, et cetera. The, another organization might be on, might be concerned about satisfaction with patients. You know, what are the ratings that that new provider has? How many patients are they seeing? What, you know, what's uh, going on in that regard? Some people might be uh, concerned about RVUs, um, you know, uh, and, you know, frankly, some organizations might be too aggressive with the RVUs account uh, that the new providers are accountable for initially. A gradual schedule uh, of additional patients is really the preferred. Um, you know, the, I always preach that the first day at the organization should not be the first day in clinic. There is no way, even if you are doing things prior to their start, there is no way that that provider is going to know everything about the organization, resources, referrals, um, where things are to be able to manage their first patient well. Um, so it takes a couple of days. And at Duke, we had a designated orientation policy that we had three to five days that were just directed for orientation. And then after that, they could go see patients. Um, another thing is, you know, how, uh, what's their reputation with uh, uh, the community? You know, are, because you have a provider who is leaving and then you have a new providers coming, how are the patients you know, getting scheduled. What are their thoughts about what's the feedback of the new provider? Um, you know, is there, uh, do the patients kind of think that it's a revolving wheel in that practice because we've had a lot of people or are they welcoming that new provider well into the community? Um, another thing is, you know, the the provider themselves, how are they satisfied? Um, you know, are, are, are they satisfied? Um, so lots of different factors that can go into that um, success. One of the things that I value is surveying, um, and you can do that electronically, you know, versus like um, SurveyMonkey, you can do that through um, other methods, or you can just have coffee with the provider and ask how the provider how they are doing, how their family is doing, et cetera. You know, those little, quote, state interviews add a lot of value um, to building the relationship and for those providers to feel like you value them and you want them to be successful. Okay, let's hop into our next question. How do I convince my organization to invest in an onboarding program or tool? You know, budgets are tight right now. Everyone is looking for places to streamline or cut. And if you're not streamlining or cutting, it's still really hard to get them to invest in something new. How do I, how do I convince them to do that? How do I help right. them see the importance? So the good thing now versus when I got started with onboarding 14 years ago is that you pick up any trade journal, onboarding is, you know, on the front page or articles are all over. When I got started, people didn't understand what onboarding was. I mean, they thought they were boarding a ship. You know, uh, they, providers, my leadership knew that something needed to be done, but didn't know what that was called. Um, and 
we actually started our department called Physician Integration um, because that was, they understood that. But now it went back, or it is, it's still called Physician Integration, but we can use onboarding because people understand what the concept is. So, you know, what I say to organizations that don't have a program, um, one is there are a hundred people and every year there's more coming to get this that are certified by AAPPR with the onboarding and retention certificate program in onboarding and retention. So, you know, it's a two day course um, on how to set up a program how that, that, gives you tools and tricks and tips on setting up a program for onboarding and retaining their providers. Um, two, there are almost 500 to 600 people that are part, uh, that are in-house recruitment professionals that are part of the onboarding and recruitment chat group at AAPPR. So of the, you know, lots of, in-house recruitment professionals there are nationally, you know, we've got a pretty large group of people that want to know more and more because they have programs. Another thing is that if you don't have a program, your competition probably does. Um, and the what you invest in a program as far as staff and resources will outweigh your turnover costs uh, and your replacement costs of losing a physician quite quickly. So the the opportunity to create a program that, that the providers are treated in a standardized process, that they know what's coming their way, that the um, and with, with timelines and deadlines and um, a person advocating for them and supporting them along that process, a person that they connect to and know that is always there for them, um, a person who is 100% dedicated to their onboarding and not have somebody who is 10% dedicated to their onboarding and overwhelmed with other things that are response, you know, good responsibilities, but not necessarily in um, onboarding responsibilities. Um, that Those are your wins. Um, you can easily justify a program existence. Um, you know, the the first thing that we did in order to get a program started is we did a survey of our providers that came in before our program got started and said, "How was your onboarding experience?" You know, we're thinking about um, we're thinking about uh, creating a program. How was your experience with credentialing? How was your experience with uh, uh, enrollment? How was your experience with integration to your work environment and when you get those results and they are you know twos out of fives you know that something needs to be done um and when you create and invest in a program you're creating onboarding experts that can do the job that you want to be done in a professional manner to ensure that the best of the best that you just recruited were being treated the best of the best and given the opportunity to shine and be um, profitable for your organization and for them to be and their family to be happy long-term. This is what you would call one of those 
um, low risk, high return investments. Absolutely. Yes. What ways have you found to be most successful to engage other departments in the process? We all know they play a huge role, but how do we get them engaged? Some of them have their own way of doing things and there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There, There is nothing wrong with that if it works. Um, but I learned the hard way that, you know, if you are creating a global document, a global checklist, and you're sending it to 16 clinical departments, they're going to say, thanks for this, but it doesn't work for us. So what you need to do is to be able to be customizable with your process to not only meet your global needs, but to meet the needs of the client or or department that you're working with. And if they're engaged in their process and have the information that they uh, feel benefits them um, and they're onboarding, then they're more likely to follow along and use the standardized tool um, to the best of their ability. Um, Another little hint is getting your leaders involved. Um, You know, my leaders did not ask me for reports on how uh, the providers were doing as far as meeting their goals, their onboarding goals um, at different stages. I created a report and I sent it out. And when I sent it out, and I sent it out to all the leaders at once. And when one department saw, you know, wonderful statistics and another department saw negative statistics, it's funny, the department that had the negative statistics, those um, administrators and clinical leaders were calling me saying, when are you doing the next report? We need to have a better score. Um, So... You know, I, I I didn't do that out of fear. I didn't do that, but I did. This is what it is. And let's work together to raise the bar. And it worked. Um, and it's funny, the, the one department that I struggled with initially because it was, here's the global checklist, but it doesn't work for us. Once we got them engaged, Um, Once we put things on that checklist that fit their needs as well, they were our biggest advocate. Um, And then once the surveys started coming back with, you know, points higher than scores higher than they were originally, and you saw growth in satisfaction, that's your win. I mean, um, and, uh, you know, I, I mentioned that onboarding is not just um, those first 30 days, you know, it's, it's, imp- and when it is a year in length, it's really important to be able to get those providers engaged in whatever capability or, or accessibility they want. So if you have, um, a minority candidate, talk to them and share about affinity groups, share about, uh, different resources in your community. Retention rates increase when you have mentors engaged. So we want to make sure that is um, is happening. And, you know, we, we as healthcare um, recruiters and healthcare professionals 
are much more aware and leaders are much more aware of DEI um, and meeting, you know, making sure that the providers that we recruit are matching the needs and the diverse population that we service. So, you know, introducing them to resources that can help integrate them into the community and keep them in the community and feel part of the community are also very positive. Okay. Tell me if you mind if I throw you two curveball questions. Okay, no problem. Any tips that you would give to someone who is new to onboarding? Um, the po most positive thing that I can tell somebody new to onboarding is you don't have to recreate the wheel. You have so many resources that you can tap into, especially through AAPPR. There are... Um, we mentioned the OR chat um, group, which is, they are a um, shared interest group of AAPPR, um, OR is, and once you become an AAPPR member, you can automatically become um, a member of OR, and I will tell you that there are over four, 500 people that are more than willing to share information to get you started, to be a mentor. You can re access the resource library. Um, mm -hmm. You can go to your, um, go and get the cert certification, if you're sorry, the certificate on the onboarding and retention certificate class. Um, you can join a regional group. And I'm sure that, again, as I said, if your organization's just starting a program, there's got, I know that there'll be other um, hospital systems and health systems in your regional area that have onboarding programs. I would make an appointment and go visit one of those other programs and talk to somebody face-to-face. -face. Um, go visit these other programs. You, um, I mean, Leslie, when you were in the organization, you came to Duke. It's, it just enriches the learning and it is such a win-win. I mean, I learned from you and you learned from us. So um, I would highly recommend that. Um, when I got started, there weren't a lot of people in the industry. So I'm so happy um, to see uh, people that are engaged with onboarding now that have the resources to be successful. That's a perfect thing to say. I'm so sorry, go ahead. No, I, you know, one of the things that PPR just did is they have um, a, kind of like chat groups. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and I can't think of what their name is off the top of my head, but uh, where they have two days of the month that they have a uh, subject and they have whoever wants to join uh, via Zoom and talk through that, they're going to uh, have that available. And this month was onboarding. So, you know, they limit it to 20, 25 people. So you have uh, availability of sharing information, but it's unscripted and people can ask whatever questions they want. So, um, and those happen, you know, quite frequently as um, at the conference, there's always people there that are talking about onboarding, whether it's a um, session or a round table. <laughs> Or call me. I'm here to help. <laughs> I was going to say, Don, Donna, meeting with you and coming out and spending time with your team, seeing the program that you developed, probably like many other people, that was when everything clicked for me. Um, that's whenever, you know, kind of that overwhelmed with what I've taken on 
you know, kind of went, okay, I don't have to recreate the wheel. Here are some, here are some things to begin looking at. And, you know, just kind of take away from that time. I found that to be so valuable. Um, so thank you again. You're welcome. I, You're welcome. I think that's a perfect lead into my next question. Um, any tips that you would give to someone who wants to make their existing process better? They know there's an opportunity, but they feel inundated in the day-to-day. How, how do I carve out time whenever every day is, is filled with all of these things that need to get done, but I know there needs to be something else. I, I know there's an opportunity. Mm-hmm. So one, um, the most positive onboarding program has some leaders, some medical, you know, whether it's a CMO or a medical director, or whatever, that's supportive. Um, and if you don't have that, you need to find somebody that's going to be supportive. Um, the other thing is Liz Mann and Carrie Gorl from AAPPR have benchmarking data. You know, they can talk. And I think some of that data uh, reflects what different onboarding programs look like. Um, if not, the OR chapter probably has information about what an onboarding program looks like. Um, you know, we are in the time of day that data gets things done. So if you want to go forward and you have an area of, that you want to improve, you need to show the area, you need to show the, the data of why it needs improved and how it can be improved and, you know, get your research of what's true in the industry um, on how to make some changes, whether that is, you know, having a program like yours to go from, um, you know, taking it from paper to taking online, uh, whether it is um, getting more people, uh, you know, I, there's a lot of organizations that I work with that have very en- various entities within them that have never talked to each other on sharing information you know they one might have a checklist that's online one might have a orientation manual but the one entity didn't know the other one had it so getting people together in a room to talk about what globally you have and what resources you can share like having a onboarding committee is a wonderful way to to make changes in your plan and your program and you know the one thing um, that people that leaders sometimes think that drives me a little crazy is they think changes can be made overnight. You know, we can go. We need a program, and it needs to be a, a fantastic program with all the moving parts and everything wonderful in six months. It doesn't happen. It took me fourteen years to you know do everything and keep growing and changing and. You you said the perfect thing. Onboarding is something that is not constant. It's ever-changing. Roles change. People change. Process changes. You know, entities might change. Alignments might happen. Practice acquisitions might come in. So you are always going to make changes to that program. So if you're not, if you've been in a program for a year and you haven't made a change, it's time to make a change because you got to keep up with the times. So if you have those surveys, you have the, that leadership, you have the data, you have the resources, 
this from AAPCR, I think you can easily justify changes, uh, whether it's staffing, whether it's um, you know, technology, et cetera. So this is something you and Tammy Hager spoke to me and it's, it's stuck in my mind ever since then, having the data to have those conversations. Mm -hmm. It takes yep. everything from a feel, you know, and each individual group, it has those feels and those, you know, those things that they know to be true mm -hmm. to data that's, you know, that really is true across the board and allows us to take that outside of that feel and have a real conversation, whether that's starting the program, whether that's improving the program and areas of opportunity, mm -hmm. but having the data to have the conversation just mm -hmm. makes everything easier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, my program started with two people. Yeah. And then we grew to three or four and then we grew and it was just provide, it was just physician. And then we grew doing APP and then we grew doing offboarding for physicians and then we grew doing offboarding for APPs. So when I retired from Duke after 25 years, um, we had five people uh, in place. And, you know, and that was the core team, but, you know, there were other people it's onboarding is a team sport. We didn't do every step in at our desk with my team. We relied on other people, but we were the maestro of the onboarding orchestra. We ensured things got done. We were the contact that the provider had. Um, you know, some, and we also have to understand as we're planning a program that my program at Duke is going to be different than anybody else's program. You have to meet your needs of your organization. You have to meet, you know, what's going on in your organization, et cetera. But you, there's some key things like, customer service, knowing what's going on as far as, you know, the timelines of the activities, know who's who, knowing where the areas of improvement can be um, that are going to be staples with any program that you deal with. Anna, thank you so much for your time today. I think you might have segued into our next conversation that we need to have. We need to schedule time for we need an offboarding conversation. Oh, Hello? yes. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you so thank much you. for your time today. All right. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. Have a great day. Thank you.